When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Hey everyone, it's Av. Just a quick scheduling note before this week's episode. We have already recorded next week's episode on Season 8, Episode 1, The Divorce, for which we were joined by Dan Jablons, who played the part of Hiram Katz. The plan, as of now, is to record Season 8, Episode 2, The Safe House, on Sunday, July 11th, with a friend of the podcast as our guest. And Season 8, Episode 3, Palestinian Chicken, uh, we're going to record hopefully on Wednesday night, July 14th, for which we will be joined by Anne Bedian, who played Shara in that episode. So that should be really fun as well. Um, so yeah, if you have any questions, feedback, episode ratings for either The Safe House or Palestinian Chicken, please try to get them to us um, at curbpostman at gmail.com before July 11th and July 14th, respectively. Again, that's Sunday, July 11th for Season 8, Episode 2, The Safe House, and Wednesday, July 14th for Season 8, Episode 3. Palestinian chicken. Uh, so without further ado, here is our bonus episode on Jewish themes and curb your enthusiasm with Iris Barr and David Washevkin. Hope you enjoy. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Alexander Chester, and I do hate myself, but it has nothing to do with being Jewish. I'm Av Sedensky, and Hitler didn't really care for my grandparents. He thought they were a bit much. Hi, I'm Iris Barr, and where are the milchik plates? Hi, I'm David Beshevkin, and Shkia Sachama. That's what's up. <laughs> Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. Uh, we are here with another special episode today as we are in between seasons. And um, for those who have complained, I think we have one commenter in particular, Jared, who says that there's too much Jewish discussion on this podcast. Well, this might be an episode he wants to skip because today we are focused on uh, Jewish themes and Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, writ large. And we have two very special guests here to join us. Uh, the first one, as you already heard, Iris Barr, uh, who played, I would say, you know, it's not that there's not a lot of Jewish representation on television and in, in media in general, but uh, growing up as Orthodox Jews, it was certainly exciting uh, to see a character get on TV and start talking about things like bearing plates and shkia sachama. And so uh, in our community, I think uh, if you just uh, refer to someone as, if you said shkia sachama, I think people would instantly know who you're talking about. It's uh, Iris Barr, who, of course, played uh, Rachel Heineman on multiple episodes of Curb. And, and then our second guest is uh, Rabbi David Beshevkin, who has a, a very popular podcast, uh, 1840, it's called, where he discusses Jewish themes. And I would say that if you were to, to tell somebody there's, a, there's an Orthodox rabbi who has a podcast discussing Jewish themes, uh, you would not guess that one of the very first themes that he tackled and spent a whole series of podcasts on was comedy. And so he's certainly somebody who uh, comedy is very important to him and he believes it plays an important role in, in Judaism. And so we thought that he would be a very good guest to have with us today for this discussion as well. So, so both of you, welcome to Curb. Uh, to pretty, pretty, pretty good, excuse me. And uh, Iris, we'll start with you. Um, sure. You know, you've been on a million TV shows. I think you, uh, you most recently have guested on a couple episodes of The Connors. But tell us, um, you know, how you first got uh, involved, how you uh, were cast to play the role of Rachel Heineman on Curb. 
well, actually, my commercial agent called me, who usually doesn't deal with theatrical auditions, and says, I, there's a role in the breakdowns. I, I guess you guys know what the breakdowns are, right? It's just the, the every day people, yeah, the agents get you know, all the roles that are available for actors. There's a role in there you have to go out for. And so I contacted my manager and they said, oh, they're only seeing people tomorrow. And I was shooting a commercial the next day. I said, can you make them see me today? And they said, fine. They pushed, which I never push. Surprisingly, I'm a Jew and an Israeli and I don't push. So it's kind of a, it's a shocker. But I went over there and I was the first one to audition for the role. And all you get is a little strip of paper. They don't give you any information about anything. And all it said was you're on a ski lift with Larry. Um, you're orthodox. You got to get out before sundown. That's it. And I walked in the room and they were all in there. Larry, Jeff, like, you know, the producers. And I was like, oh, because Larry's sitting there to audition with you. And again, I was not prepared for that mentally. Um, and I sat in there and, and I just riffed with him. And I, I drew upon my experience going to Yeshiva in the Bronx. Uh, and then they called me the same day and they said they canceled the other auditions after me because they found me. And that never, ever happens. Anytime you can get any sort of ego stroking in the industry, you, you talk about it all the time. And I, I have, um, From Larry so, David, no less. yeah, exactly. And so that's how I got, that's how I got the part. There so, it is. So what I'm interested really in discussing is which parts of the, of the, of the narrative that Rachel has were coming, like were already written on the page before you came in, which parts you brought into it. So you mentioned that, you know, you having to jump off the ski lift before sundown, that was, that was, that was them. I assume the term Shkia Sahama was you. Um, that was so, me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was me. I mean, all the stuff, you know, Larry pretty much said, I love what you did in the audition. You know, the, the brilliant thing, and I've said this before is that Larry's brilliant. Same thing with Seinfeld. He lets, he wants everybody to be funny around him. You know, a lot of other shows and comedies that you do, the leads are wary of people being funnier than them. You do encounter that sometimes. And people like Larry, it's truly an ensemble. And he encourages and he's, you know, and it's improv. Um, so I think the, all the all the dialogue, there's no dialogue given to you at all. It's literally just very basic plot points. And I also didn't know what else is happening in the episode. So when he pulls out that edible underwear, I, ha I literally had no idea what it was. <laughs> and so in the moment, I'm like, what the fuck is he pulling out of his jacket? You know, like, what is going on? Then he took a bite and I saw that it had strings, but I didn't know what was going on. So all I knew he was, yes, Orthodox yeah, he yeah, does he offer it to me. So those, himself. yeah, but I still hard, literally in the far, moment, I'm hard like, to find a reliable uh, kosher hechsher on edible underwear. Exactly. Yes. I didn't even know there was, I, I, I hate to be naive. I did not know there was edible underwear. I didn't know that was something that people made. So just putting it out there. Um, so I, I, think I, I think I Googled it after we did that episode. Yeah, and thank I, you. I think it was essentially just like almost like a fruit roll up in the shape of a, it was like, a fruit roll up less, with yeah. like, yeah, it was a thong fruit roll up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, once you roll it up, it's the same as how it comes in the package. It's, it's like, a it regular really fruit. If had yeah. I known, I might have taken a bite and the scene could have gone elsewhere. But nothing yeah. is dictated. Like he didn't say don't eat it. Like it's all reacting in the moment. And then, of course, jumping off because I needed stunt people to assist. I didn't just jump off the ski lift of my own accord. Yeah. Um, but all the, you know, the dialogue about the band, like all that is all improvised. We're just sitting there. And, um, and I think the burying the plate, I don't recall. Um, I think they just said you come in there and are wondering where the milking plates are. And I think they told me I had to bury the, you know, mention burying the plate, but I that I don't remember, but there's, you know, there's a lot of flexibility except where you have to get to by the end of it. Right. Uh, let me ask you one other question. So, I mean, and these are really inside baseball for like the 2% of our listeners who are Orthodox Jews. But um, one sort of common trope, I think, in, in pop culture is when they want to identify somebody as being religious, you know, like they cover their hair, for example. Uh, we, we know, of course, that Orthodox women who are not married, as your character is not, would not be covering their hair. So was the hair covering, was that something that uh, like the yes. casting that the costumes wanted you to do? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not something I insisted on. I think it's also, yeah, you want to make this accessible to, you know, to people and kind of have it, you know, luckily we were also skiing, so it could have been just winter gear. You know what I mean? It just could have kept me warm. But yes, I think there were comments afterwards going, she didn't have to wear that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as but we've yeah, talked not, before, I had no, you know, I, I, I do what I'm told. Yeah. As we've talked before on the podcast, you know, when it comes to like specificity in, you know, cultural representation, sometimes like wrong, but broadly right works better on TV than like exactly right. Because like the average viewers are seeing like, oh, yeah, I've seen those Orthodox women before they cover their hair like they're not, you know, necessarily aware of like, this, you know, the specifics of, you know, single versus married. Like, you know, it just feels right for the larger yeah. part of the audience. So, um David, what is your background with, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm specifically? Like, give us, you know, the breakdown. Why are you on this episode? Why did we ask you to come on? I'm not entirely sure, to be perfectly honest, but <laughs> I, uh, I am a student of comedy, of all comedy, Jewish or otherwise. And uh, Curb has always played a very special place in my heart just to understand, A, the comedic genius of Larry David, but secondly, the way it presents... Jewish identity to the broader world, I think is really, really fascinating. Now, it's, it's also, I mean, let's be frank, it's a show that there's a, there's a lot of parts you can't quote to your uh, fellow Orthodox rabbis when you're having conversations. <laughs> so, I, I definitely bleep out a lot of the quotes or skip certain episodes, but uh, I, uh, it's watched by everybody. Everybody loves a little bit of Curb. If you're, if you're watching any television at all, it, it, it has a much richer Jewish content than Seinfeld did. And I love Seinfeld too, but La but this is really Larry's childhood coming, bubbling up on the surface. All those questions that he had, he, he, had, he has a fairly decent uh, Jewish background and education. I think his father was fairly educated. Um, so you really see a lot there of just like how are Jews depicted in American media. Yeah, it's funny. Seinfeld, you know, was derided early on as, you know, by some execs as, as too New York and too Jewish. And so Larry's <laughs> reaction was, you want too Jewish? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm going on HBO and I'll do exactly whatever I want or whatever yeah, the fuck I, mean, I want is probably how he'd say it. But Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I believe I've seen that like the Costanzas who are like overtly Jewish characters, but for the, the fact that their name is Costanza and, you know, they're said to be Italian are otherwise completely, you know, portrayed as Jewish characters. And I believe it was a network note that like, one Jewish character is enough for, you know, on a network TV show. We don't need a whole cast of, of Jewish characters. I'm always so shocked at how broad the appeal is, because when you watch these episodes, you know, there aren't really universal themes. I mean, there's sometimes, but some so much of it is so specific to the Jewish experience or people that are like New York and L.A. where people are living in proximity. You know, I even feel like the Jewish experience in Montana has nothing to do with this. And so it's always shocking. People in Israel love it. I don't know how it flies in Europe. I don't know if people get it. I think the whole idea of neurotic, neurotic humor that's so specific to Jews, you know, um, it's just interesting. It's cu I'm curious to know how broad an appeal it has globally. You know, well, Iris, I think if I think that point and I noticed this because there's a show called Rami, which is about right. A yep. Muslim, yes. right? It's about the Muslim community. I think when it comes to resonance, and specifically religious resonance on television or movies, universal is not resonant. And the more specific you get, the more resonant it is. Because when you focus on these like hyper local quirks and stories, people just fill in their own experiences because everybody has these little idiosyncrasies that I've noticed. Um, and it's just like, it's just a space that they fill in with their own narrative. When it's just this like, 
very parov, to use a Jewish term, this kind of tasteless narrative. And it, it doesn't resonate with anybody, frankly. Yeah, yeah, to your point, David, you know, I remember I watched season one of Rami and then I told a bunch of my friends, hey, I just saw this great new show about Orthodox Judaism. You got to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think really. the I think the Middle Eastern factor or like, you know, Jews, Islam, like that kind of, you know, the outcasts, right? The outliers. Yeah. It's not like we're doing a show about Protestants. Um, I think people watch it also out of fascination. I feel people look at Shtisel and they're they love Shtisel not because they can re, you know relate to the main rabbi or because their marital issues are similar, just because they're fascinated by the specificity of this world. It's exotic to them. And I think that that's the big appeal, you know, in a lot of ways. Same with Rami, I'm assuming, you know. Yeah. Although not to get not to get into debate about Shtisel, but I wonder how popular Shtisel is outside of like the Orthodox Jewish world, because I know like all my Orthodox friends have seen it, but not so many of my other friends have seen oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. Netflix never reveals, yeah. you know, never so, reveals yeah, their numbers. So who knows? It could be just 40 people watching it. Yeah, but it's it's very popular. Popular. I mean, an- anecdotally, I've heard from non-Orthodox people that they've watched and enjoyed Schnitzel and Unorthodox and, you know, other Unorthodox, yeah, definitely. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like this is like a very new revelation to see Judaism, specifically Orthodox Judaism depicted on TV in such a you know heightened way. I mean, Seinfeld was like crazy at its time. Curb like took it to a new level, um, you know, and in some ways, like I think someone kind of touched on this before, like Larry Dan- David, the character is like putting apart all the like the specific Jewish references is like such an innately Jewish character, just like this outsider in a world where he's kind of like torn between identities. And like, you know, this guy who is just like Larry from Brooklyn, who somehow got rich by accident and now has to like fit in in like high society, Gentile culture. And it just like obviously doesn't work all the time. I just like that Larry um, kind of pioneered the non-likable character. Right. You know what I mean? When you see these like, you know, and people either love it or hate it. I feel like people either love Kerber, hate it. You know, when I talk to Israelis, they're like, oh, he gives me a headache. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I can't handle it because it's like reminiscent of everything I have to deal with their family all the time. You know, there's no space. Like, do I really want to spend more time watching this kind of thing? But I think that people that don't have to deal with that love it. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, he really did predate, I mean, I guess kind of like simultaneous to like the emergence of the antihero with like Tony Soprano and Walter White, like Tony Soprano and Larry David are really hitting HBO around the same time. And like, that's kind of been like the the, the, the dominant like avatar of like a lead character on TV for the last 20 years is this like very flawed, hard to like, but like ultimately you root for or sometimes you root against. Um, I say that my favorite episodes are the ones where Larry wins at the end, but like they're only because they're far and few between. <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. So with that, um, we're going to, you know, we're going to delve into uh, various topics that kind of cut across the seasons. Uh, but before we do that, given that we have uh, Rachel Heineman here in the flesh, uh, we thought we would first uh, go a little deep on some of the key scenes from the ski lift, and then we'll broaden out the uh, telescope a little bit and talk about some uh, some topics like uh, the Holocaust and the cla- uh, you know relationship between Jews and Gentiles and perceptions of each other maybe the Israeli-Palestinian conflict a little bit you know some really uh, fun uh, fun festival especially up- now when I'm expecting yeah. a rocket barrage any minute so, yeah, yeah. Fun, fun uplifting stuff um, okay so we're gonna start with the ski lift uh, which for those who don't remember was season five episode eight and just to refresh our memories, the uh, the situation here is that Richard Lewis needs a kidney and Larry has found out that there's an Orthodox Jew named Mr. Heinemann and I think Ben Heinemann and he's the head of the kidney consortium. And Larry has devised this plot where he's going to get into a stage car accident with him 
and then, you know, meet with him and befriend him. And somehow this will result in getting Richard onto the uh, top of the list. So here we are with Larry meeting Mr. Heinemann at Izzy's Deli. Mr. Mr. Heinemann. How are you, sir? What a great, great pleasure to meet you. Well, it's nice to meet you. Sit down, please. Thank you. So? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little late. Uh, you know. It's not a big problem. Yeah. What do you What a misfit it was for you to leave that note on my car. Well, how could I do anything less than that? I'd have to be a sociopath to hit somebody's car and then and then go away into the night as if nothing happened. Thank you. Thank you. What happened? I was listening to Jewish radio and, and they were talking about Israel and I got so worked up, I lost control of my car. May I offer you some lunch? Please. Morning. Menus, please. It's kosher. You know that. Oh. Say, wait a second. Hello? No, 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 no. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that invitation, but I cannot go to the baseball game on the Sabbath. I'm sorry. It's impossible. I'll take a rain check, however. Oh, okay. I'd love to go to the game, but not on the Sabbath. The Yankees are playing, and I would, I would kill to go down there. You're a Yankee fan. Oh, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm a huge Yankee fan. I love the Yankees. You love the Yankees? There are so many times when the Yankees were playing in Anaheim that I have so much wanted to go to see it. I, I, I even cheat by watching it on television. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> there are two things in my life that I love, besides family and my work. I love baseball. love baseball, especially the Yankees. I love to ski. I, I, my yarmulke almost fell off. I'm so taken aback. <laughs> All right. So then uh, Larry will, of course, uh, invite uh, the Heinemans over to, I think it's the Green Ski Lodge. All right. So um, Curious, can, I, I think- can I ask you about, so Stuart Pankin, who plays yes. your father in the show, I'm just like I'm wondering what he if you know at all like his Jewish background because he's dropping you know Yiddishisms although some of them are just sort of mumbles but he does say like right. and stuff. So. <laughs> I I literally have no idea I I don't know and since I'm I'm a Sephardic Jew my knowledge of Yiddish is kind of minimal hmm. so I could tell when some things didn't fly and I'm like is this a real word is this yeah. is this what's happening here bechesh bechay and I'm like all right so yeah. yeah. I mean, that's basically what it is anyways, right? Like, yeah, Yiddish exactly. is mostly You're a right. series of grunts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I share a very niche gripe with that scene? Sure. This is my niche Jewish gripe with that scene. And I don't know, Iris, if you felt the same way. The yarmulkes are not believable. Yes. Yeah. The yarmulkes yes. that he's wearing, that. you look in the background, no adult man. Like, those are yarmulkes that a six-year-old would wear. Yeah. No, those are yarmulkes you get at, like, a conservative shul yeah. for a bar right. mitzvah. Yeah, but I think, it, I think it goes to like the head covering that the Rachel yeah, character wears, the same wears thing. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but more of a, a symbol. are fabulous. His intonation yes. is really good. Yamakas and the Yiddish, um, not, so, not so accurate, but uh, a valiant effort. Yeah, no, the whole getup is great with like the, you know, the big black yarmulke and like the tucked in <laughs> shirt and the sneakers. It's just like great, like Larry's perception of like, oh, that's like what that guy that I saw in that kosher market looks like when I once had to like go buy something for a party. 
You could think that Larry couldn't sound more Jewish, and yet he can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, wow, he's actually capable of sounding even Jewier. Yeah, he really Jews it up there. Yeah. And, I, and we discussed this on the, on the episode when we talked about this episode, but in an example of sort of uh, life imitating art, there was a few years later uh, a whole uh, organ donation scandal with like, I think like Syrian Orthodox rabbis in New Jersey and something. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the Orthodox uh, 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 organ donor impresario in LA apparently was, uh, was something that was copied. <laughs> so let's, um, uh, let's go to the next scene and let's get some uh, Eris in there. How did you two meet? Interesting. Uh, we Interesting. met at a Hillel uh, mixer, a function. Oh, in college? Yes, a singles, and he was there trying to pick up every girl imaginable. I was pretty swinging in those days. Yes. I was in the bands, okay? <laughs> the girls were pretty interested, you know, with the guitar. They liked that. Not like true. a rock band? Not true. Jewish folk, folk. music, uh, Jewish folk. folk songs. Oh, like what songs? Um, Gefilte Fish Blues, um, my freaking back is killing me, and it's making it hard to quell. Uh, what was the name of your band? The Hipsters. Yes, it was the Hipsters. Larry David and the Hipsters. Yeah. And then I left the Hipsters, and I just became Larry David. Larry David. And the Hipsters went out on their own, and they became quite successful. Now, I love how, like, you're instantly skeptical. Your father yeah. is like just totally buying every all the garbage, and you're like, "Oh, what songs?" You know, and you're expecting him to like, you know, say some names of some common, uh, you know, Jewish songs. But of course, yes. Larry doesn't know any, so he just starts using these. Like, those are almost like American stereotypes of Jewish culture, I would say, like a filter fish blues or my, you know. Whereas, like within Orthodox culture, I don't think we would, uh, you know, we don't identify with those things as much. The way that sort of that's more of like an outsider's perspective of what a, a Jewish stereotype would be, right? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, I think when I, I do recall my thought process in that scene as you're in the moment, you know, it's kind of like setting setting up the actor, you know what I mean? Giving the actor an opportunity to, you know, so I'm like, so what songs? Because I knew that whatever he was going to was going to come out of his mouth would, would be brilliant. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's just trying to emulate. And I'm, my dad is the naive, you know, giddy just yeah. happy to be there, dude. And I'm just like, are you kidding me with this? I love how does Cheryl. Anyone wa- does anyone want another Jewish gripe? A very yes. niche Jewish you're here gripe. For the, you're here for the Jewish gripes. I, <laughs> I'm going to give you another we've, very we've niche established Jewish gripe. Now this for is directed the directly at Iris. Please. I feel uh, Iris's head covering in the Orthodox community is known as a snood. Um, it's a funny name for, for the hat you're wearing. I feel like Iris's snood placement is a little too low down on the forehead. <laughs> I think, okay. I think it's, I thought it's it was like, too high. I felt like it looked like a bathing cap. No, yeah, it was like it was like too close to the eyebrows. I think you needed like two inches up. Interesting. You look like when someone first gets married and they're getting used to covering their hair and they're like overly zealous, even in the Orthodox community, mm-hmm. they go super low down. But once you like get the swing of it, like my sisters who would wear that, they, they would give like you would see a little hair, a little more, for, a little more skin, a little more yeah, skin, a little bit okay. more, just a little, just a little bit more. But All you, right. now, Rachel Heineman's a more modest woman than your sisters of ill repute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about your sisters, but Rachel played it. Look, we talked about this earlier that I shouldn't have been wearing it to begin with, but I, I do like it. I think it accentu- accentuates the comedy. Yeah, she a goes a little bit of an egghead. The- Above the letter of the law. Yeah. Yeah. She's exactly. jumping off a ski lifts. I've jumped um, off a ski yeah. lift. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I, Let's I remember need that. To say you, you nailed the pronunciation of song. <laughs> oh, thank you, you so much. That awe song. 
So, a lot of like, songs. There are a lot of songs in there, so it's not a problem. Proper pronunciation. Yes. Song. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love uh, Cheryl trying to blow up Larry's spot yeah. here. Like she's that's like, oh, so, yeah, was- that's such a common thing in Seinfeld and Curb. Like for example, when uh, when Jerry and George are meeting with NBC and George is making up a story about his off off Broadway play, Jerry's like, "What was the name of the chef again?" <laughs> Yeah, it's always like even though you're ostensibly there to support someone and them getting you're there to sabotage at the same time. She kind of wants him to fail. Them getting sabotage would be bad for you. You're still like, you know, right. Well, it's also (laughs) shocking when Cheryl ends up making bacon. You know what I mean? Like you really did pick a woman so far off the, uh, you know, on the clueless scale when it comes to the Orthodox Jews, which is great. Yeah. Hence the comedy. And in the next scene in the kitchen, uh, maybe we should watch that scene of. Because one of my questions I've always wondered is. Would would Rachel know what bacon smells like? Um. Oh, you want to watch it first? Sorry. Sure. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> What's that smell? What eggs? What bacon? What are you crazy? You're making bacon. Why? Why? What? Huh? People don't eat bacon. What are you nuts? It's the kosher people. Kosher. You know what that is? Well, they don't have to eat it. How'd you do last night? I did fine. How'd you do? I missed you, honey. I missed you, too. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Um, were these not the plates we ate the pot roast on last night? They are the same plates, but um, they've been washed. What? Uh, I, I shouldn't be having dairy on these kind of plates. You know, as you know, the dairy and the meat are on two separate plates. That's, that's a necessary rule of being kosher. Where are the milchic plates? Where are the they? Plates. Where are they? <laughs> the milkic plates. Well, they should be in the cabinet. You were told about the milkic plates. Were you not? Okay. Well, I'm sorry about that's, the... That's uh, fine. I have to bury the plate and we'll be done with gonna it. You're going to do what? <laughs> I have to bury the plate. Why would you bury a plate? Why would you bury a plate? <laughs> Philip. You have to bury the plate to purify it. It has to go in the Purify. Got the purify. I'm sure you probably have a whole set of china yeah. in your backyard. You wash it and call it a day? Uh, no. No, we can't. No, no, no you can't car, wash it and call it a day. No. That's not how it works. Do you want to bury it as the man of the house? Yes, you bury. You bury. You bury. It's a little early for burying. I don't like to bury before a coffee. Do I smell bacon? Well, no. Oh, I was a little gassy. I'm a match. Now, David, as as the local rabbi here, do you have a a whole set of china in your uh, in your garden? I I I've got uh, many many Jewish gripes on this scene. As much as I love it, Uh, there's no Jewish uh, concept of burying plates. There, it's a it's a homage, I would say, to a very rare halachic, which is the word for Jewish law, a circumstance where you bury a knife. A knife is the only utensil you would ever bury. I would say most Orthodox Jewish homes have never had a circumstance where they actually buried a knife. If you want to know the the Jewish term for it, it's called Nitza Bekarka. That just turned off all your listeners. Uh, and that's, uh, that's burying a knife. Uh, but you never really bury uh, a plate. I'm trying to think what kind of plate that was. I could give more information of what they would actually do. If they, uh, you got to set it aside for like a year, I think. 
it's a, it's a, you sometimes you 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 dig it and it's not really a year but mm-hmm. it's uh it's a great it's a great scene uh for uh rabbinic ordination to figure out what exactly would you do with it's like that law school play. spot the errors exactly spot the errors Issue spotting yeah they um, should use this on the uh rabbi exams yeah. watch this episode of curve tell us what they got right what they got wrong what what they got right. rachel's covering her hair but she's wearing yeah. pants yeah, but Rachel yeah. now her uh, her head covering is a little bit moved up, as you said mm. before. It so did you know, the it head did move up. much better. Yeah. The the, yeah. the real question in this scene is is what would you do with the skillet that you kind of whatever you call it saute with? You don't you put the bacon on that that you really have to kosher the plate. There's a little bit more wiggle room. Depends how hot the bacon was when it went on there. And Iris, another that bacon looks pretty hot to me. Teeny tiny gripe. Would an Orthodox Jewish woman, as a single person who's careful about covering her hair, would she come down in pajama pants? I'm not sure. Those were ski know. pants. No, those, those were not pajama pants. pants. Those She's were ski pants. Oh, those were ski pants? Yes. Okay. Okay. yes. I, I do know we're a few tracking. women who used to wear a skirt over their ski pants uh, back in the day. So that is, a, that is a thing. That, that sounds like a horrible I think experience. Rachel is, yeah. a, is a, uh, a fire brand. Okay. So she, she has her own. Fair. Her own, yeah. She, she lives by the beat of her own drum. So, yeah, good um, for Rachel. Thank you, thank you. So and, my, much. And, and and Dove, just my mother did once as a kid. She buried something, and I don't remember what it was. I assume it was a knife. And I remember I asking, and people said that they that it is a thing. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I remember my mother burying something, and then I remember later, you know, spending many years in yeshiva trying to figure out why the hell she was doing what she was doing. And I just asked her, knives, and she didn't remember. Just knives. There's just a- knives. Yeah, right. yeah. We'll have a follow up episode, that d- <laughs> deep dive into the laws of kosher. It requires yeah, yeah. its own episode. Yeah. For that, you could uh, check out the 1840 podcast. Yeah, there you go. Tune in here. about burying plates or knives. Yeah, 1840. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, okay. but so you said so the bearing the plate that was on the card, and then the rest of the scene is, of course, uh, extemporary. Yeah. And regarding the smelling bacon, I think everybody on planet Earth knows what bacon smells like. I personally think that nothing smells better than bacon. I don't eat bacon. I ate bacon for a period in my twenties, um, but really, nothing does. Nothing smells better than bacon. I mean, it does smell like the divine intervention. It is. It's the one thing that, in terms of Judaism and God, I'm like, really, this is this is what's happening. <laughs> This is what you're depriving us of because it really is so good. Um, but I don't miss it at all. I'm happy. You, you know, it's not good. The too. Morning Star fake bacon. Very bad. Uh, yeah, well, turkey bacon is also an abomination. I try, try that and it just is. Yeah. But um, I so I think that Rachel would know what it smells like. It's just like it's like smelling, you know, like geraniums. I don't know. It's just it's that it's that commonplace growing up in, you know, amongst secular peoples. My stomach is not ready to eat meat before, I don't know, noon. I think I would explode if I had any really? meat product before. Okay, before understood, understood. Unless it's chalet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never have an uh, early morning kiddish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so why don't we head over to the uh, the final scene of the episode, the okay. uh, the titular ski lift scene. Um, and I think this is the uh, this is the episode that everyone remembers the most. I mean, the, the scene that from this episode yes. that everyone remembers the most. Hey, when we get back to the lodge, how about you and I have a doodling contest, huh? What do you say? I'm feeling nauseous right now. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. What's going on? Don't worry. It happens all the time. Should only be a few minutes. (laughs) 
It's been 15 minutes already. What's going on? Shkes Achama. That's what's going on here. What? Shkes Achama. Sundown. I can't be here alone with you after sundown. Why not? Because you're a man and I'm a single woman. So? So it's not allowed. Who says so? The law, the Torah says so. Hashem says so. Hashem? Do you know anything? <laughs> no, Hashem, I know. <laughs> anyway, but it's okay. There's extenuating circumstances here. The thing here. is extenuating circumstances. Well, you got another half hour. It's 5.41. Shkesa comes at 5.41. All right, well, she that's a half a hour. Very from. I'll fix it. The sun is setting. Freeze. I'm hungry too. You hungry? Yes, I'm very hungry. Hey! Edible underwear! I must. The private investigators, when I went. Unreal! Bracha. Not bad. How much time do we have left? Lozo? No, thank you. Goodbye. I'm fine, please. Goodbye. Move that away from me. <laughs> Just tell me how much time we have left. Well, I think you got about two minutes. Oh. Somebody's going to have to jump. Oh, stop. Stop what? I can't be with you here after sundown. There's no other way. Somebody's gonna have to jump. You're gonna have to jump. Are you gonna jump? What are you fucking nuts? <laughs> what? What are you doing? Why did she take her gloves off? No, no, hold my phone. Are you crazy? Are you insane? Bite. Sorry about that. So, uh, um, yeah, so there you go. Yes, you got to jump. Rabbi, um, is there a yichud issue on a ski lift? There is so much to unpack here. <laughs> Not, number one, and this is my favorite part about this episode, is you know this is based on a true story. On uh, August 18th, 1967, when Larry was just about 20 years old, there was a lawsuit bro- brought in the state of New York. I have, I, I pulled it up in front of me. I'll read for you the beginning of the lawsuit. It is the it was Ruth Friedman, um, who was sued um, by the uh, who who sued. She was sued. No, no, she wasn't sued. She sued the state of New York. Here's the here's the here's the summary. It's a few sentences. Proceeding on claim for injuries sustained by a 16 year old girl and for related medical expenses and loss of services sustained by her father 
as alleged result of negligence of state in operation of aerial chairlift at ski center owned by state. And the entire lawsuit was based on this question of whether or not she was in fact obligated to jump off. There was a malfunction. Uh, there, was, there was some signage that was saying they shouldn't have gone on the ski lift. Uh, and she in fact jumped off and they brought in an expert witness, a rabbi who I've never really been able to track down. Um, and I, and I, have, I have tried, his name is Rabbi Herschel Stahl. And he, they brought him in to testify that this was a violation of a, of a prohibition known as yichud, which means to be alone, like an intimate aloneness with somebody who you're prohibited from having a relationship with. And Larry David was 20 years old when this happened. There's no doubt in my mind that he was aware of this historical um, lawsuit. And the Wait, hold on. She, she fell off because the ski lift was broken or she jumped off for Yichud reasons? Gr great question. The latter. She jumped off for Yichud reasons. All right. <laughs> exactly like the episode. Meaning she oh, wow. came on. The only difference is that they- No edible underwear. <laughs> they boarded the ski lift right now. That, that's also a difference. But they boarded the ski lift after it was closed, and they claimed that they didn't have good signage from the ski lift operator. Um, but, uh, it's, either, the, it's either moving or not moving. If it's not moving, there's no reason to get on it because it's not going anywhere. And if it is no, moving, it, it's open. It, so. it was moving but stopped in the middle because that's when they, you know, like after 5 p.m. or whenever it is, they stopped the functioning of the ski lift. Yeah, that's on the um, operators. You can't stop it when there's somebody in the middle of the ski lift. Like, <laughs> well, you, you can. She she won the lawsuit. She yeah. won, I believe, thirty five thousand dollars on behalf wow. of her father. She was a minor. Um, I don't know if it was overturned on appeal, but she did win. Uh, and it was hen. It was hinging on this aspect of Jewish law, known as yichud. But the the question is, is whether or not you're really obligated to jump in this case. And most, I would say, uh, modern Orthodox rabbis would say you are not obligated to jump Isn't off. it whenever there's a, a threat to your life, then yeah. all even bets if are it's off? Yuchud, even if it is yuchud, if there's a risk of injury or death, then yeah. that would. Great question, Iris. Um, it, there are three exceptions to that. There oh. are three exceptions. Yeah, one this exception isn't... is murder. Well, this, is, this is tangential to one of them. Okay. Uh, we want to do this deep dive. You tell me. Yeah. No, no, please. Like, this is interesting to me. You murder like if you're... Okay. That you are not... That even at the risk of life, you have to go further in Jewish law. One is murder itself. If somebody says, I'm going to kill you if you don't kill that other person, you have to, you have to, you have to take the L on that. Okay. Uh, number two is um, idolatry. Um, and if somebody says, I'm going to kill you, or you got to, you know, serve an idol, worship this stone or whatever it is, another time you got to, you got to kind of take the loss. And finally, and this is what's hinged on this episode, if somebody asks you to commit adultery or that high order sexual impropriety, the question is, does Yichud fall under that category? Or in the lawsuit, they pronounced it Yichud. Uh, with a J. I have no idea why. Jihad, uh, yes. uh, I'm all for the murder one. The other two, I, I, I will, I would debate on. I would yeah, debate. The middle one is it, very self-centered. Your life, or your, you know, you're praying to Shiva for seven minutes. This feels like a little iffy to me. Well, but, but and the adultery to, one. But I don't to go know to the either. third one, like the, this isn't like rape or incest or adultery. Like jihad, as the court called it, jihad. itself is, is, is a fence around, a, you know, caught creating another prohibition. So yeah, I would find it very, I would go further. I would say that there's no rabbi who would say you have to jump off 
who would permit you to be there in the first place, because there's many Orthodox rabbis who prohibit skiing altogether because they think that is inherently an, an, an unlawful risk of life. I know that. Um, eh, not so much. Eh, they, they say it with a wink, with that WandaVision wink. Yeah. Like, don't go skiing, <laughs> wink. No, but there's like, uh, you know, uh, there's schools that will, not permit, that will not permit ski trips for that reason, because it's considered. Yeah, a, well, like, that's just liability. This feels like legal liability. I mean, yeah. that's why that's why the schools outlaw the ski trips. They don't want to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. about it. But 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 that, that that's the final thing. And the other the wrinkle in this is that really you're not actively violating it. It's kind of more like the trolley dilemma, where if you just stay passive, you're not really violating anything. So a lot of people would have told, said in that circumstance that you were not, in fact, obligated to jump over. I'm curious if Larry mentioned the fact to you at any point that this was based on a true story. You know what? He may have. I don't remember. I mean, this was a while back and I've aged. So I got to tell you, yeah, my capacity for memory. He might have. We were on the ski lift for a long time. We did. We did uh, kibitz. We did kibitz quite a bit up there. So I was did you on have any snacks once. I was on Clubhouse <laughs> once with Jeff. Snacks. Did you one. see our show? Yeah. <laughs> And I, uh, I asked Jeff this question too. He had no idea that this yeah, was an actual court case. It's, it, it's a page turner. That's if you ever funny. want to read a court case, this is the one. That's this great. is the one to do it. That's great. That's very funny. I, yeah, I didn't know that. We should have uh, known that for our, uh, when we did this episode off. So, Iris, in this in this scene, your only instructions are kibitz with Larry for a bit, and then eventually jump off the ski lift at the ends. Um. Oh, wait for the final bit. Yeah. This whole. Well, we kibitz in the beginning when with that long shot you saw. It with- like right. we're initially on the ski lift when we do the wide shot. That's when we had a lot of downtime. Uh-huh. But then we had to practice the stunt. So th- that final scene, I don't jump from very high. We cheated it. So we're obviously not where we initially shot the beginning of the scene, which is at the peak of the ski lift. We moved further down and they had these huge mats and two stunt guys waiting to to catch me. So there it is. And in what take did you did you drop the Shkia Sahama bomb? I did that in the audition. I did that in the audition and they loved it. And so, yeah. So I just kept it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that to me, this to me is like the scene that like when, when this happened, like everyone was just like forwarding this, like whether or not you watched her or not, like everyone in my community was talking about like, (laughs) oh, there was a show on TV this week where they talk about milk plates and like, what is going on? (laughs) Like, how is this real? It was like mind blowing. And what was this? 2005, 2006? Yeah, it was a like while nothing, back, yeah, right? Nothing like this back. had ever been close to on TV before. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, okay. Um, anyone have anything more on the ski lift episode or should we move on to various I mean, other you, topics? You don't, you don't want me to say more on this because we could do a deep dive. I mean, I'll just say that from a Jewish <laughs> law perspective, what would change the the jihud or yichud prohibition it would not be the exact minute of shkias hachama. Uh, shkias hachama might be something that you have to be careful about to the minute when it comes to the beginning of Shabbos uh, or or some of the holidays. But there's no like, oh, at this moment is when the prohibition would begin. The prohibition would begin when you are totally alone in a deserted area, like you know you're. You're in a car together, but now you're on a deserted highway somewhere. That's another very niche rabbinic gripe. Again, losing another half of your listeners. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Yeah. That's all right. I think if they're still around, they're they're in it for the long haul at this point. Yeah. They're not gonna be surprised by the Jewish content right now. <laughs> all right. So okay. let, let, so can we like we take a step back now, Av? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I, what I really want to talk about is, you know, and, and we said this at the top a little bit, like, um, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of, of Jewish representation on on television and in media in general in, in America. But I think what was unique about Curb is, and, you know, as David said, you know, Seinfeld was was a little bit watered down because maybe not relative to its era, but now because it's on network television has to appeal to a broad audience. But but on Curb, Larry just gets to be exactly who he wants to be. And, you know, I, do you, is this a show, you know, obviously most of my friends are Jewish. And so uh, I don't, but I want, I wonder like, how is this show, how, how do, how do people, and maybe I have, we have the wrong audience for this, but, but how do we think that, that Gentiles approach sort of the, the Jewish uh, content of Curb? I mean, personally, I think um, they, they have an in, like Cheryl represents an in, you know, smart shows have an outsider that the audience can relate to. So Shell represents the audience and how people experience. And I think that Larry, more than anything, I mean, yes, the Jew, Jewish stuff is specificity, but he's that curmudgeonly type of guy that kind of wreaks havoc. So I think that there's these archetypes that can, you know, even from Commedia dell'arte, you know, like I think that people can relate to or enjoy the comedy. Um, I'm sure they cringe sometimes because when you're, you know, if you're a Jew, you can laugh at other Jews. And when you're not, you're like, you know, I think all the stereotypes that come up, you know, people try to be politically correct at the same thing with African-American culture. You know, I think that as the outsider, you're kind of like, oh, did he just say that? But if you're in it, you're like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you could have the cheap Jew and you can laugh at the Holocaust and have that Holocaust survivor that scene with survivor. I mean, that still kills me, you know, like stuff that's really can be offensive even to Jews. But I think that um, because you have because Larry is so fearless and unapologetic, I think it makes it a little less cringy. Does that make sense? Like he gets away with everything and, 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 um, yeah, I don't know. He's like an equal opportunity offender. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's got that self-loathing. I think when you're a self-loathing Jew, then it's okay. Cause you're self-deprecating and you're self-loathing. Right. I remember watching, I, I, my, the books that I wrote were bestsellers in Germany. And for some reason I spent a lot of time in Germany doing these book tours and I always felt a little bit like one time they put me in a hotel on Dachaustrasse. They had no uh, idea that this would offend uh, me. And I had to tell them, I go, guys are where? Like, but the point is that, um, oh my God, there was a point I totally blanked. Uh, oh, there was a German comic who probably 10 years ago started making fun of Jews again and big noses. And it made me want to vomit. Now, obviously anybody else can do, even in America, you know what I mean? But something about a German comic, it, now it's okay to laugh at Jews again was very kind of scary. But I think in America, it's, it doesn't feel that, you know what I mean? It's not as cringe. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm kind of going all over the place. No, no, for I sure. I thoughts, but um, yeah. I, I think Curb is like an extended analogy. And this is like what I was sharing earlier. It's an extended analogy for any sort of in-group commitment or affiliation where because there are so many people who are a part of this in-group or representing it, whether it's American Jewry, it's really an extended analogy that people, I think, who are from an out group, whether it's Cheryl on the show or the actual viewers, are able to then fill up these scenarios with their own experiences. I'm sure there are many Christian viewers who, while they don't have the prohibition of Yichud, where they're not burying their plates, um, they have other things in their own lives that they're like, oh, we, we have the equivalent of that. And it just allows people to be reminded and fill in the analogy, so to speak, with their own kind of very niche commitments, affiliations, and these idiosyncrasies that Larry allows you and Curb more generally allows you to laugh at. 
And I, I think that that's, that's honestly wonderful because when you go to these hyper-specific details, instead of making you feel more distant from what you're watching, actually makes you feel closer because you start to say, oh, what's my equivalent of bearing the plate? You know, like I, I was thinking, because this is the more contemporary example where I'm the outsider, uh, on Rami, there's this one scene where he meets a matchmaker and the matchmaker asks him if he reads Quran or the girl asks him if he reads Quran. And he says, I do, but in translation. <laughs> like he reads the translated version. And you can see the girl and the matchmaker be like really disappointed, like, oh, a translation? And right away, I filled up that scene with the equivalent of like reading Talmud in translation, reading scripture in translation. So I think any one of these scenes has an analogy that the viewer is able to kind of fill in through their own experiences. I also think that Larry himself, as we talked about earlier, straddles this line with his splintered identity. So he also represents, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's someone that's also coming in. And also someone is seen as powerful in the entertainment industry. I, I hate to go to Jewish stereotypes again, but there's a feeling of power. He's not, he doesn't come across as a victim. So he gets away with a lot more. So it's more comfortable viewing when you know that he's going to be okay. You know what I mean? And I think that that's also something important for Jewish representation in a lot of ways. You know, like he kind of rules the town. I mean, people always think the Jews rule Hollywood and that's fine too. But, you know, but there's something about this place of, and even Seinfeld too, he was an arrogant kind of an arrogant dick. You know what I mean? And he got away with stuff and he, he was never the victim. You know, everybody else was kind of, and I think that that, I think that's important. I think that was part of important of like Jewish healing and Jewish identity. Even if we're laughing at Jewish stuff that we're not, we're not playing the victim. I think that was an important, you know, a difference in Jewish representation on television in general. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. Um, yeah, I do, I do particularly love uh, Cheryl in that scene. Um, as, as you said, as like the outsider here, like she's now the only Gentile at this uh, weekend. Yes. And like her, like her just as the straight man in that scene with the milk like plates is like perfect because it's like the same amount of exasperation that she has to show for like in every episode dealing with whatever Larry scheme is going on. It's like, do you, what do you, why would we bury the plates? Like she says in the same intonation as like, and why can't we go to the party, Larry? Like, it's just like the same character. Just it's like this. The latest scheme of Larry is like posing as an Orthodox Jew and has to now do all these ritual ceremonies for God knows why. Um, so, yeah. So, OK, um, should we um, we have like, I think, two or three topics that we wanted to kind of delve into a little bit. Um, we have, um, you know, we're, we're just talking right now about Jews and Gentiles. So why don't we um play a couple scenes um, where we, you know, deal with both Larry's perception of what a Gentile is and what a Jew is and, you know, how he relates to uh, Gentiles in a secular world. So um, the first scene is going to come from when Larry, this is, I think, right after the five would when Larry and Jeff uh, get, get them kicked out of the country club. And um, Susie and Cheryl, of course, are not very pleased about this. We've no place to go, no place to play. It was our social life. Okay, you know what? I think my friend Julie was just saying that the Beverly Park Country Club might be taking new members. Uh, yeah. And I think they're taking new members. Yeah, and it's a beautiful country club. 
All right, look, I don't want to offend you, but there's like three fucking Jews in the whole club, okay? It's not for us. It's Wasp Wasp Republican City. Okay, you know what? I fit in with you guys all the time. For years, I've been going to your thing, so... How am I going to even get by in the interview? This one would stick out like a sore fucking thumb, this really Jew face it. over here. Oh, I'm more of a Jew face than you? Hey, fuck you, Larry, okay? I, I didn't get us into this predicament. I'm much more gentile than you are. Okay, okay, look. We get an interview. We go in there. It's, it's a great golf course. And he says to you, it, you got it out there, but it's low into the right. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Oh, hello. Aaron How's told us then? to come right in. Of course. Cheryl. Yes, Cheryl. Yeah, sure. Jim, Jim Remington. Nice Cheryl. to meet you. Oh, Jim. Larry. Larry. Hi, Larry nice David. Nice to meet you. Ken, what a great pleasure to meet you. Well, I'm sure it's ours. Here. Please have a seat. Thank you. There you go, sweetheart. Here. Thank you, darling. All right. All right. By the way, gentlemen. I must comment on how friendly everybody was. We just parked our Hummer in the lot. You have a Hummer? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we met at a fundraiser. Oh, oh what was the fundraiser? It was for... Uh, Ronald Reagan. Reagan. <clears throat> you feel comfortable here? Oh, oh, so at home. Quite comfortable. Let me say, the uh, golf course is magnificent, too. You know, I'm fairly new to golf. Um, Polo was my game. By the way, uh, did I notice a uh, log cabin Republican in the parking lot? Oh, was that I, you? I, did you let that one in, Ken? <laughs> I thought, I thought okay. we did. Let me ask you a question. What hobbies or social uh, societies have you mm -hmm. been involved in? That's a fair question. Outside of golf, of course. We like sailing. Yes, we um, sail as a pair. We've got a uh, schooner down at the marina. A schooner in the marina, that's marvelous. You must know Baxter Churchill. Of course. Yes, yes. Do you sail it yourself, or do you have a captain? Or... Occasionally I'll bring a captain in if, if it's windy. Could I ask you a few more questions about uh, organizations that you belong Absolutely. to? Absolutely. Please. Absolutely. Good. Well, I'm a moose uh, and an elk. You're a moose and an elk? I'm a moose and an elk, that's yes. extraordinary. Yeah. I'm a, uh, in the uh, Rotary Club. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my. What other organizations are you members of? We're in the Council for Conservative Citizens, uh, National Right to Life Committee. Yes. We're in the uh, Heritage Foundation. Mm -hmm. I think this has gone uh, rather well. <laughs> um, this, I, I, I mentioned this at the time when we covered this episode. This scene is just like straight out of one of my favorite uh, mm -hmm. like Jewish borscht belt jokes. Um, it's the exact same scenario with these Jews go on an interview at a country club, and the, the punchline is they ask them what their religion is, and they say, oh, don't worry about it. We're going. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is just like, this is classic Larry with just like, I mean, it's the same scene as what we just saw posing as the Orthodox Jews, just now he's posing as like waspy Republicans and just like leaning heavily into like every stereotype that he could think of, of like, what would the person who I'm supposed to be be using to answer these questions on this interview and it's like it's so over the top that it's like obviously fake and transparent and yet it somehow works and it's the same thing he'll do later when he thinks that he's been adopted and he has the whole montage of his what right, he produces yes. the gentile behaviors and um, this is my absolutely fa favorite favorite scene team this isn't a gripe but it's an oddity that it's interesting that Hummer is associated with that Gentile lifestyle. It happens to be owned by by a pretty prominent Jew. Um, Hummers? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, owned by Ira Renner. He's he's very Jewish. Oh, we're supposed to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that meeting. <laughs>
Yeah, but also the context. I think this is in like 04, 05, right? And I think it's more a political statement than a religious one necessarily. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, what's interesting is that like kind of since since this episode aired and find out he's lying. (laughs) Yeah, since since this episode has aired, there's been, you know, definitely a shift in like the American political, you know, intersection between politics and religion, where it's like in 2004, it was like taken for granted that like any, you know, like heavily Jewish person was, you know, liberal and would like never be seen for that or right to life committee or the heritage foundation. And obviously there's been somewhat of a shift of that over the last 15 years in, you know, the American. Well, but, but Larry's identity is American, you know, non-Orthodox Judaism. Yeah, yeah I yeah. agree. I agree. So, I agree. But it, it I is, mean, I think still, it is. Uh, when I was in law school and I wore a yarmulke and it was sort of important to me because I was wearing a yarmulke at all times to sort of establish among my classmates, the fact that notwithstanding the fact that I was wearing a yarmulke, I was not some like, you know, right-wing blowhard, I very quickly discovered that that was because I was in my own bubble where I thought people would think that. Everybody assumed I was some uber-liberal because I was wearing a yarmulke. Because in American culture, right. and it, that was 10 years ago, and you could say now the Orthodox community is sort of more publicly seen as, as, as you know, moved to the right politically. But I think that, you know, if you ask Larry David or his friends, you know, Jews are axiomatically, you know, liberal. And, and wasps, especially it's not just it's not just Christians, but it's the kind who go to a country club that doesn't permit minorities. So. I love comparing Eris's intonation as like the ultimate Jew to Larry's intonation when he's trying to be the ultimate Gentile. That's my favorite contrast, like the, just the way their voices sound. He's so courteous to his wife. He pulls a chair out for her. Yeah. Jew Larry yeah. David would never do that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I love that's that what... actor, too. Who's the actor? That guy. I've seen him in everything. The, the the guy on the right. Oh, the country club guys. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, he he does look very familiar. Yeah, he's been in like the Love Boat. I remember he, like he was that guy. You know what I mean? He was like those shows from the eighties. I remember seeing him in everything. And then um, the initial greeting, like the if you contrast it to the meeting in the deli where Larry meets him as kind of like deliberately flubbing and just kind of announcing these like strange Yiddishisms. And then he, in this Gentile scene, he says, what an absolute pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Like, which is like <laughs> such a, like there's this sense of like confidence and comfort in your space, which I guess it, he's projecting. I think there's a, a lot of truth to that is like a very not Jewish uh, sense of meeting somebody. You're like kind of like apologizing. I don't belong here. I, I, this is my favorite scene. I love it because it also gives me an opportunity to experience what I think most Gentiles feel when they're watching the very Jewish scenes. Now I'm, I'm Jewish watching like this insider Gentile culture. I honestly have no idea what a Rotary Club is. That's the honest truth. Not a clue. <laughs> it's like the Freemasons. I feel like I have no idea what happens in there. That and the Rotary Club. Yeah, it's just like they have no idea what goes on in synagogue. Yeah, exactly, sure. yeah. exactly. Look, the, th- the scary thing is these places still exist. So... You know, I, I it, it's interesting. We, you know, we talk about like anti-Semitism in comedy, but then when you in real life, you encounter it in very subtle ways. And it's still just dist- even friends of mine that all their friends are Jewish. I remember I had a friend who was about to get a sperm donor. She wanted to have a kid on her own. And I said um, and I asked her, I said, oh, are you going to pick Jewish sperm? She goes, God, no. Like it came out seriously. And this is someone I've known for like 20. You know what I mean? It's like these and she's super. We could not find a waspier country club type person and it came out without even or you meet people in Europe and my friend goes no no I'm not Jewish I'm French and I'm like well there there are French Jews just FYI you know it's stuff that's ingrained so it's always makes me happy even though with comedy it seems less serious than it is but it is still kind of sinister and an undercurrent in today's world you know um 
Anyway, yeah, your friend should talk nice to thing. Cheryl. Jews make the best husbands and the best sperm donors. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Speaking of anti-Semitism, for our final topic, we wanted to briefly touch on the way that the Holocaust is discussed on Curb Your Enthusiasm. And for that, we are going to go full tilt all the way back to season four, episode nine, The Survivor, and its legendary dinner conversation between Sally, the Holocaust survivor, and Colby Donaldson, the runner-up of Survivor, the Australian Outback. The rabbi said he's bringing a survivor tomorrow. Should I have my father bring his friend Sally, who's also a survivor? You know, the guy with the glass eye? Oh, right. Remember him? Yeah. You think that's a good idea? Do survivors like seeing each other? <laughs> they like to talk about old times, or does the sight of another survivor depress them? I think you should invite him. Invite him. I guess if I was a survivor, I'd want to see you somebody. You want to see somebody you, know, you have a shared experience. Yeah, talk about, well, see, that's the thing. Do they want to? I, I don't know. Larry. Hello, Rabbi. Hello. Hello. This is Colby. Hi, Larry. Nice to meet you. Where's this survivor? What? <laughs> he, he's the survivor. <laughs> From the television show. Survivor. Hello, Sally. Hey, 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 hey. Good to see you. You hey. have a beautiful house. Oh, thank beautiful. you. Thank you. There's going to be a dinner? Oh, the dinner. No. Delicious dinner. Listen, where's the other survivor? Is that uh, tall guy over there? He's. He's from the television show. Survivor? <laughs> so here we are in a region of Australia where out of the world's 10 most deadly snakes, nine of them inhabit this region. It was harrowing. You come across a taipan on the trail, you get bit, you're dead. Oh. 30 minutes flat. Oh. 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 I'll tell you, that's a very interesting story. Let me tell you. I was in a concentration camp. You never even suffered one minute in your life compared to what I went through. Look, I'm saying, I'm saying we spent 42 days trying to survive. We had very little rations, no snacks. Snacks? What are you talking snacks? We didn't eat sometimes for a week. For a month, we weighed nothing. I went from home. I mean, I couldn't even work out when I was over there. They certainly didn't have a gym. What? I mean, I wore my sneakers out, and then the next thing you know, I've got a pair of flip-flops. Flip-flops? We slip on the ground, on the dirt, okay? 118 degrees during the day, 98 at night with 98% humidity. 45 degrees below zero. Did you guys have a bathroom? A bathroom? We didn't have one. We had 12 people at a time would go and shit. Well, I'm sure you had toilet paper. We had newspaper. We had mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. You see this glass eye? Have you even seen the show? Did you ever see our show? It was called The Holocaust. Um, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, this for me is like the ultimate curb scene, um, as you know, a grandchildren of Holocaust survivors and, you know, mother and father and aunt and uncles who like grew up with, you know, that as like the main 
story of their life, even though it happened before they were born. Um, just like the idea of like the Holocaust as like the ultimate trump card in any conversation. It's like, oh, you had a bad today? I was in a concentration camp. It's just like that has been like a staple in my life since childhood. It's just like this Holocaust card always being played. Um, and it was just like so incredible to see it played like unironically or maybe even ironically. It's not even clear what Larry's going from here. Um, you know, he's just like, you know, this guy's complaining about how bad conditions were on some show he was on. It's like, you could just leave Let Enough alone. But no, he needs to say, well, oh, yeah. I was in the Holocaust. I never thought of this before, but it dawned on me when I was watching the clips. None of my grandparents or great grandparents were in the Holocaust. My great grandfather had a brother. One went to America, that was my great grandfather, and one went to Israel. And that great grandfather's great grandson, uh, who's a distant cousin of mine, who has the same last name, Natan Bishefkin, uh, actually one survivor in Israel. He's kind of a celebrity <laughs> in Israel. Spoiler alert. Uh, he won Israeli Survivor, I think I twice. He was on All-Star Survivor. Israeli Survivor's just hanging out on the street. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> That's the show, as I know full well. Oh. But th- yeah, th- th- this is a, a absolutely, um, it's a fabulous clip because I think it it really holds up a lens to kind of a victim Olympics, which everybody plays. I think we, we see that more and more in the last 10 years of who has suffered the most. I know a lot of comedians uh, ha- have spoken about that, but even more so like just what, what does it mean to be challenged? Like, you know, when, when he's talking about, you know, we had flip-flops, I love that scene. Like the American- <laughs> well, I just love how clueless he is. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I you know, I, I, I um, my son's school did not even mention Holocaust Remembrance Day. And that drove me insane. And the teacher barely knew what I was talking about. Like, they, you know, there's just and it's frightening the lack of, you know, so I just it, again, once again, showing kind of this undercurrent of a problem with this kind of Biff type character who's like, dude, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? There are no flip flops. Um, but you, you're having this where people, you know, especially in the United States, like less and less education about it. And it's scary as these survivors slowly uh, just say, hey, to take it to a dark direction every time. But it's something I think about a lot. No, that it's that line. There were no snacks. Like yeah, that, that, that's, that's a brilliant line. Embodiment yep. of yeah, yeah. Of, there were no snacks. Yeah. Okay. So, Iris, um, we're gonna let you go. Uh, but okay. before we do, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, since this is a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast, yes. um, about the Book of Leon, which uh, I am in the middle yes. of listening to on Audible. Oh, um, it is a delight. Um, so, if you could just like give us a little uh, backstory about that and how that came to be. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I, you know, I do a lot of uh, ghostwriting for people and collaborate. And my book agent um, represented JB and thought we'd be a good team uh to work on it together and and we did i mean it was as simple as that we collaborated and obviously i i wrote a bunch in his voice but then he took it and kind of you know it's all jb's kind of brilliance so he takes it and makes it his own i mean the stuff that's comes out of his mouth that's a whole episode right i mean (laughs) he's brilliant so but it was really fun because you're kind of embodying you know a cat what i love is embodying characters that's what i do in my one woman shows that's what i do you know i'm a character actor that's really what i love more than anything so getting into even jb's head and writing stuff you know um and being around him because he is such a brilliant guy uh and you know so quick and he kind of chat i mean i don't think any i mean that's why larry kept bringing him back you know i mean he's such a powerful and again an outsider is such a powerful character but so idiosyncratic in his own way that larry is the straight guy you know what I mean? Right. And then and it's like and it's so fascinating and how they play off of each other. And there's kindred spirits in their own kind of warped way. G- yeah. JB as the Jew 
saying you got to recharge the mitzvah is another yes. one of my favorite yeah, he's, moments. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. That scene is just, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've, we've spoken about how like the, uh, the stable force for seven seasons in Larry's life was Cheryl. And then he kind of swaps her out for Leon in the last three seasons. And yes. Obviously that uh, takes his life in uh, hijinks and all sorts of new places. In so a new it's, direction. Uh, it's really fun to see. And I think it's coming back, right? Um, that is the rumor. Supposedly they are currently filming season 11. Um, it should air sometime in the fall or winter. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, we're definitely Amazing. excited about that here. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys for having me. Oh, thank you so much for uh, coming on. And uh, David, Ravavashevkin, thank you so much for joining us as well. Uh, This, I think, was a really fun and informative episode that I hope our uh, Jewish and Gentile (laughs) listeners alike will get something out of. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. You too. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care, friends. I didn't know that he rewrote that book. My goodness. I had no idea. Yeah. That's extremely awesome. Yeah. She's uh, amazing. She's very talented. Okay, friends, uh, this was a lot of fun. So yeah, I thought we uh, covered a lot of interesting ground today and that this episode will be something that both our Jewish and Gentile listeners will find to be... Pretty, 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 pretty good.